SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 72 with guest Kamal Hathi. Our guest today is Kamal Hathi, is the General Manager for Power BI and responsible for all aspects of the product. That includes the Power BI desktop and the Power BI service, including engineering and service operations. Kamal's been part of the Microsoft BI team since 1997, so welcome Kamal. Hey, thanks Greg, uh, really happy to be here and always fantastic to talk to you. Awesome. And listen, so what I'll get uh, you to do, I suppose, first up is just give people a quick background as to how you come to be in this role, because certainly it was other roles I used to see you in before. Yeah, uh, so um, my uh, background is somewhat, you know, one-dimensional. I've been at Microsoft for oh, 21 years now. Hmm. And of those 21 years, I've worked about 20 odd years uh, in uh, the BI space at Microsoft, and I've, and I've worked on various other parts of the BI space. I used to work on what's called OLAP services, analysis services. And then for a while, I started and uh, a product and delivered called SQL Server Integration Services, SSIS, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love and a lot of people. Yeah, we, well. we use it daily. <laughs> yeah, so. There you go. There you go. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I went back into analysis services for a while, and then we from there, we built this thing called Power Pivot which was, you think, fairly um, interesting. And that was also the beginning of the self-service BI wave for mm. us. And from there came something called Power View, and we said there's lots of powers. And so we just made it something called Power BI, which was our first cloud offering. And uh, here I am. And, and I have been, you know, through different, at Microsoft, you go through various sort of discipline roles, which is uh, either you are doing what's called program or product management or engineering, which are all related. But so I've been through various different things here. Um, and now, you know, um, I, I, I do, um, but sometimes I pinch myself, which is one of the most amazing, um, roles I can think about, which is uh, getting to work on Power BI, which is, uh, in, in so many ways delightful. Mm. So, and not just the product, the team, uh, you know, the, the, the customers, the community, just an amazing thing. So, uh, that's what I do now. Yeah. It's certainly as a product, it's gone ahead in leaps and bounds so quickly and the, the other thing is, I think it's one of the earliest products that ado- adopted a, a sort of a very rapid cadence in how quickly things come out. Yeah. And so, so I presume that's been a major challenge in terms of re-engineering. Yeah. So, I mean, to give you some idea, Microsoft um, over a decade has gone from, you know, a company that shipped every sometimes three years in, in some cases, yeah. five, like SQL Server 2000, you know, this uh, 2005 mm. uh, was a great example of a product that took almost five years to ship um, to a point where we shipped pretty much, you know, in some fashion or the other every day. Uh, we update the cloud service either with a patch or, or some kind of configuration or a set of features 
um, every day with with the, with the feature roll up on on uh, every you know uh, depending where you live in in, in the on the planet Monday to Wednesday, and then every month we update our Power BI desktop, and so that shift from going every five years if you will, to every day uh, is pretty dramatic. Now the good news is that from our point of view and the customers as well is that we end up doing incremental work, uh, and so we don't end up biting of large chunks and then having trouble chewing them and indigestion afterwards and all that stuff. Uh, instead, we do very, very focused uh, uh, work. We measure, uh, very uh, actively measure, how effective that work has been from a customer point of view. And then if there's any change required, we make the change and evolve that capability, feature, or whatever it happens to be. And the result, what you have is this, you know, uh, a trajectory that corrects itself in flight and as a result hopefully lands at the place you want to land as opposed to you know shooting it off and waiting five years to see where it get goes to i mean that uh, i guess the difference between trying to land a ship on the on mars uh, as opposed to you know uh, trying to hit your um, you know basketball into your basket just a little bit more controllable mm. um, and, and so that's that's the change and 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 then you know um it requires a different way of working. Requires a different view of how we design and and what we do. But uh, it's it also becomes extremely customer driven because the one thing you do do in these short cycles is you listen to feedback, and that really helps then. Hmm. And so, look, how do you see? I suppose there's also the move from uh, more on-premise focus to uh, cloud-based, and yeah. uh, and probably in the meantime, sort of hybrid as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you look. Uh, you know, if you if you had this discussion maybe five years ago, it would have been you know very different uh, you know state of affairs you could have talked about. Mm. Uh, cloud, I think, has in the meantime become very mainstream. It's no it's no longer something that a few people do. I think every company I talk to, in some fashion or the other, is either investing or actively looking at uh, going to the cloud. And it's not because uh, it's a fancy term and and it's kind of hip to do. I think it's just very cost-effective. Um, if you don't have to own the machines, you don't have to own the backup, the electricity, the people, the guy who cleans the data center or, or whatever, um, it's, a, it's a much more um, focused investment you can make in your product, in your service, in your organization, uh, as opposed to uh, trying to invest in hardware and people and processes and those kinds of things. The cloud makes it super easy uh, to 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 get going and then, you know, at a fractional cost, continue to, to grow your business. Uh, it also, uh, given our previous discussion on, on change in velocity and those kinds of things, allows innovation to happen much more rapidly uh, because now uh, the folks who are delivering the product uh, actually are doing it in, in, in a way that gets to customer directly. There's nothing to be purchased from a box store. There is no reseller in the middle, there is no installation that the customer has to do and then make sure it runs on their machine and there's a memory ride, is the tuning done, oh, what kind of RAID do I need, what kind of disk do I need? They literally just come in um, and get the benefits the minute they hit the keyboard. And I think that allows... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say one challenge I see with that though, even though I I kind of thrive on that, um, one of the things I see as a real challenge is the more how that fits into more traditional environments or software development environments. Because 
you, I can imagine, like, if I'm building an application and I'm building it over the top of something that's a cloud-based yeah. service, one of the first things you don't normally do is keep changing the dependencies right. underneath your software. And so what's yeah. your thoughts with that as to, to how so, somebody then builds over the top yeah. of that? So the one thing we try to, to do, again, is, um, you know, as early as possible, land or lock down interfaces um, and the kinds of contracts that other applications or, um, you know, tools would have with the product. Because mm. it turns out that even internally, we have the same problem. You can imagine, for example, there's something called a Power BI desktop, which is a Win, you know, I guess 32. Uh, thick or client, yes, or 64. Thick client, yeah. if you want to use uh, in, in quotes Win32 uh, mm. client, uh, that works very closely with uh, our cloud service as mm. does our mobile app, which is iOS and Android, and essentially the projection of what's happening in the cloud service. These clients, um, you know, really need to depend on some degree of stability of what that service is going to do, what kind of, you know, the, the APIs of the service uh, are available or not. And, uh, and so we internally have the same problem. We cannot afford to, um, you know, disrupt predefined contracts uh, and, and connections that we have between various pieces. So we try very early to, 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 to settle those down so that if somebody's going to go and, and use the product, uh, they um, or, you know, build on it, they can at least rely on, on, a, on a few things. Hmm. Now, and from a developer, now it gets complicated, of course, when you are talking about features being added. So you start off somewhere and then you know, in, in three months something new shows up. And so we also are trying increasingly to provide, you know, guidance and roadmaps quite early on, especially with, you know, our partners who work with us. We actually do a, uh, you know, ongoing uh, roadmap uh, discussion with them so they know uh, what to advise other people to do and how to work with us. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, 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 there is the, the trade-off of uh, a certain amount of change um, and, you know, being willing to to move with that as opposed to you know betting that for five years nothing's going to change you can go off and you know mm. including the bugs uh, which you never you may not get fixed for a while uh, so there there's that trade off but what we try to do is very 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 quickly uh lock down the external interfaces if you will mm. um, and also the 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 external um, metaphors people work with uh, and so not really change that too much. Now, over time, we do end up changing things, uh, but it's much, much less than, you know, fleshing out things uh, inside those mm. boundaries. I suppose an, another aspect that strikes us is that we get involved in a bit of training as well. And uh, again, it, it runs that same scenario where you could have like a course Sunday night that you've stepped through and everything is perfect. And then Monday morning, you go to deliver it and things are different. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like how, how companies deal with that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, I see that as a, a quite a bit of a challenge, but it also means that I, I think it changes how software has to be supplied. I mean, you can't really just sell an application now that's based on one of these things. Um, you really must be selling some sort of subscription. Uh, yeah. because because the expectation that you have something that works today, somebody could buy and still in a few years' time it'll still work maybe even. You know, that, that's, that's not 100% secure. 
Yeah, I mean, look, the, I think in general, the other thing we're seeing uh, hand in glove with this whole cloud business is subscriptions. Hmm. I think all of us um, in every aspect, forget about software, of our lives are living on, on a subscription model more and more. Yeah. We're, we're amortizing our costs uh, so that one, uh, you know, we get incremental value and ongoing value. Uh, and two, uh, we actually aren't locked into anything. Hmm. And so, the, you know, yeah, you're right. You, you typically, the value provided as a developer or, or as a, uh, you know, partner might be subscription-based. Uh, but also the other thing is that customers have have fair amount of freedom uh, because they, they work with these combinations of these services. I mean, there was Salesforce subscription, a Marketo subscription. There was subscription to, uh, you know, they work with GitHub. Uh, maybe they've got, you know, they're running on Azure on some kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, backend subscription. And all of these things are working together, but they can decide how, how to mix and match these things. Um, and they're not locked down in having invested, you know, a uh, gazillion dollars on, on software licenses and, mm-hmm. and hardware that's, that's tuned to these things. And, 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 and then they can easily decide to switch and people do switch. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's, in some senses, it's, it's, it's a counterintuitiveness of subscriptions that they're liberating. Mm. Uh, they, they don't lock you down as much as you might think they do. But you're right. Uh, the expectation also then become, becomes is that, uh, you basically are going to get value for the life of the subscription. And after that, um, you know, you, you, you may have to sort of on legacy. Yeah, I was thinking about the constant churn a bit. It, it, so it's like a, if I look at the WordPress market today, like anybody who builds a WordPress application would usually end up having to, I, I don't know, they might add a dozen plugins or 15 yeah. plugins or something like that. Every one of those is going to have a separate update cadence and so on. And... I, I just sort of wonder, I already see that in that sort of situation where people struggle to keep everything working together um, because an update to one might then require another one to do an update and so on. And uh, and when you have applications that tie together all these different cloud services, I still, yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of wondering how that's all going to fit together longer term where you may build on, say, 10 or 15 different services, all of which are changing. Yeah, so I think the one thing we have, uh, you're right. I mean, from an analytics point of view, which I, I think is, uh, which I, I like to comment on as opposed to trying to, mm. you know, solve the, the entire problem of how do all kinds of apps work together. Mm. From an analytical point of view, um, the one thing that's, that becomes super interesting in this, this new world is how can you land data from different systems in one place where you as a customer uh, know that you will get, you know, a standardized interface, mm. schema, um, maybe out-of-the-box reports, maybe even simple solutions, so that, you know, you don't have to worry about that thing changing on you. Um, and, and having this, this idea, this notion of, you know, a, a more standardized data model uh, that you can interact and work with which abstracts out all these different other systems that you're interacting with um, because, you know, underneath all of this, uh, maybe there's a mechanism that knows how to pull this data together Mm. and and deliver a standardized view. So that's something that, uh, in fact, we have uh, Microsoft been talking about a little bit. We we call this this notion of a common data model. Yeah. 
and, and that sort of is the idea behind it is that how can you provide customers with a, um, you know, almost think about it as shock absorbers on the ocean. Mm. Uh, as, as the ocean goes up and down, how does the platform remain stable? Uh, so that the, the, the people, to your point, who, who build on it do not, um, you know, feel the effect of every ripple that's taking place underneath. Yeah. And, and, and that is the idea, that you have a, a, a standardized set of schemas, models that work, um, you know, against all kinds of sources of data. Mm. And they try, and that, and underneath this, there is a service that keeps everything, uh, you know, updated. And so that even when that changes in, in sources and, and the schemas change and, you know, new things come and go, uh, the consumption, uh, is, it remains stable. I love where the service is at at the moment and I love the application. The, uh, the one that I struggle with in companies at the moment though, is where this fits in the application lifecycle. Like, like for example, if I wanted to put a dashboard design into source yeah. control today, it's like, yeah, yeah, more, yeah. yeah, what do I do? Or, or if I'm a software house and I build applications that are based on Power BI, yeah. how do I roll that out to a hundred different tenants? Yeah. Um, so that's those a, sorts of things. Yeah. Great question, actually. So there are a few things we've been, because we obviously hear this a lot. Uh, and, and so one thing we've been trying to, especially on this notion of application lifecycle management, uh, where you want to be able to not only roll it out to a lot of people, but you want to be able to go and, and go through stages and test it and, mm. and verify it before oh, you roll it yes. out. Environments is the other. Environments. Yes. Yes. Right. And so, so we've been work, we are working on this uh, evolution of a, of a concept we call Power BI apps. And apps are, are a packaging, if you will. Of reports and dashboards and data sets and all together, but um, you know, they, they can be um, updated uh, without immediately impacting users. So I can go mm. and collaborate with a bunch of people together, uh, my my development team, I suppose, uh, uh, or my my group of analysts, and I can make changes and I can try it out and I can test it um, and I can go, you know into environment, not yet, but soon enough, an environment that is more of a staging, and then I can ultimately release it out to my my customers into, into production, be it internal to you or external to your organization. Mm. Um, and then, again, I can go back and make changes without ever impacting the user. The users never see those changes till I actually decide to ship it out. And make them, when I change and I ship them out, those changes are reconciled and users get the ability to, to work with reconciled changes. Mm. So this application lifecycle management thing is, is we, have, we have we started a little bit of it now with with, with the current apps that are in Power BI, but we're going to spend a lot more time uh, evolving this uh, into a, a much more true uh, ALM solution, so that um, you know customers can work uh, together yeah, on. Look, the other hot topic in that area, of course, is DevOps, and uh, oh. again, it'd be how do we integrate that into a DevOps and you know, and like again rolling out dashboards or things and so on. Yeah. Now, the other thing on, on that story is, um, you know, Power BI also has, has, has this, uh, I think you implied a little bit towards this, as, as for software vendors, this notion of Power BI embedded. And mm. Power BI embedded is, is you know, uh, uh, it's an Azure service, and like any other Azure service, has its own, you know, uh, capabilities to go, you know, be, be managed, uh, you know, be monitored. It works with the Azure ecosystem. Uh, you, you work with, uh, you know, standard uh, JavaScript, 
and it's like any other um, uh, development uh, technology, if you will. Um, but we provide also a service backend that allows you to plug in, you know, our data models and and their implications, apps, dashboards, reports as artifacts into your applications. Hmm. Uh, you don't really have to worry about the Power BI service being seen or or even have to be, you know, um, experienced by by the end user in some ways. So is that that really the thinking there? Is that if I push out an application as an ISV, the aim would be to embed it within it. Uh, uh, the reason yeah. I'm sort of saying that, I, I, yeah. uh, I think what's going through my mind is, imagine I push out an accounting application yeah. and and I have, I don't know, thousands of people use it, but I want to add Power BI functionality over the top of that. But yeah. I want people to be able to also, of course, yeah. hook up data from other places to combine yeah, yeah. with my, but I want to supply a whole lot of standard Power BI related yeah. functionality with my application in the first place. Yeah, so there are multiple ways of doing this. So one way mm-hmm. is you can actually embed it. So in fact, we do this with Dynamics. Yep. If you look at Microsoft Dynamics, it has in it embedded inside it Power BI dashboards and reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you, it goes to thousands of people. And it works with the um, you know uh, regular Dynamics application, um, but it 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 is Yet another screen, if you will, uh, mm. inside that application. It's not something special you sign into or you need a license for or you need to go off and have a different experience. It's just mm. yet another tab, if you will. And that, that works in many ways because, you know, customers don't want to know or care about anything. And that bigger application then manages versioning and updates and whatever else that has to happen. The customer just happily gets new, you know, things just, you just keep uh, running along. Um, in that case, you know the the ISV, which happens in Microsoft in this case, uh, certainly can do mashups or whatever else they want to do uh, and deliver value. There is another uh, evolving set of uh, scenarios where we uh, are exposing an, an editor for people to go in and start editing these reports inside mm. these applications. Yes. So it's not just bound and locked down, but you can actually make changes to it. Uh, hmm. And over time, you can imagine that becoming more and more sophisticated uh, and, and do the mashups and all those things you talked about. Hmm. The third scenario that we have typically is that the ISV decides to expose uh, their artifacts or data so that uh, a Power BI user using a Power BI subscription can work with that and hmm. you know, uh, either do it in one of two ways. Uh, one way is it's a, just a pure connection and they can go into Power BI desktop and, you know, basically uh, connect to it and, and write their own, own DAX or whatever and create reports and then, you know, publish them out to the organization. The other way is for them to go and uh, package up and build these apps that I talked about that are a combination of reports and dashboards and, and mm-hmm. data sets and put them together and deliver them to end users who then authenticate against the ISV service, but it pops up through Power BI. Think about mm. that as an, as what we do with our content packs. Mm. Where, for example, you want to go and, you know, for all things, Google Analytics, you want to go and get your website's um, performance uh, and, and how it's been doing. You just go, uh, say, get data, connect to Google Analytics, sign in uh, with, with Google Analytics, and lo and behold, we deliver to you uh, a set of reports and dashboards that have been packaged up and refined and targeted at Google Analytics 
um, uh, analysis and you get yourself uh, out of the box experience that gives you value. Now imagine that going to the next level where the ISV, you know, who, who builds this kind of thing, maybe with more sophisticated packaging, may hydrate, um, you know, uh, some sort of intermediary warehouse in the middle or an ETL or whatever, and really give you a full-blown app. In fact, you can see an example of that sort of with what we call solution templates. Mm. Uh, if you go to rbi.com, you can see solutions. And solution templates are, you know, essentially 80, 90% complete applications where you click through and give some credentials and we have we hydrate an Azure warehouse for you, maybe or Azure SQL DB, logic apps for flows. We work with you know various parts of um, of, of the ecosystem, and you have yourself a uh, Power BI um, experience on top of that entire pipeline of, of work that we did for you. Mm. So my point being that there are multiple ways in which an a partner, an ISV, can deliver value. Can be embedded. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it, it 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 might be you know much more in terms of uh, this package uh, app that comes through Power BI um, or, or somewhere in the middle. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. How do you see ongoing relationship uh, between Power BI and reporting services? Oh, it's uh, pretty much you know we all live in the, in the same team together. Yes. Uh, in fact, you know, I mean, we we are we can throw spitballs at each other if you want to. Mm. Um, so, so let's talk about uh, what those what that really means. That there's multiple questions in there. I think mm. one is reporting services. Other one is this thing called Power BI Report Server. Mm. Reporting services is a part of SQL Server called SQL Server Reporting Services. It pro- provides you what reporting is always done, operational reports, paginated on subscription. Yeah, so, uh, focusing uh, on tabular paginated, uh, reports. usually, uh, mostly, yeah. yeah, obviously canned reports. Yep. Canned reports using the RDL uh, format. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, very much something that we've been doing for a long time. Now we we continue to ship that as part of SQL Server and it's it's it still exists and and I think lots of people love it and it's a very high you know I think there's a ton of human beings in the world who use this thing yes uh, and it's an amazing amazing product. In uh, fact, one of the things that often seems to be forgotten is that when uh, whenever I look at reviews of why people move to Microsoft BI in the first place, reporting services was often the number one reason. Absolutely, it's a big deal. Hmm. That and analysis services, those two are, are sort of, you know, uh, core of, of, of everything. Yeah. With that said, um, we also get asked a lot of people saying, hey, you know, I get this, but now I have these Power BI reports. Why can't I have one thing that delivers both? Hmm. Uh, and, and it's a fair question because uh, it's in, at some point the question is, you know, wh- what do you want, what the user want? Do they want a more interactive solution? Do they want a more canned? Uh, and should they have to choose? I, so, I often think people don't also 
uh, they haven't got a distinction in their head between like particularly dashboards and reports, for example. Right. And, uh, absolutely. and the, the thing that you need to do to design a good dashboard is not the same thing you need to do to design good reports. And, and some vendors call it reports as dashboards, and it becomes mm. a whole, it's a very overloaded thing. But my point being that people do want some of the freedom. They want, you know, uh, yet be able to do the kind of thing they're used to doing. Um, at the same time, we also have customers who, who uh, are in, you know, investing in the Power BI cloud, and so what we ended up doing is we said, okay, let's deliver this thing called uh, Power BI Report Server. And Power BI Report Server essentially takes SSRS, uh, adds to it the ability to run uh, Power BI uh, desktop reports and run them all from one server that you run on-premises. Hmm. And it's included as part of what we call your premium subscription uh, or your premium purchase which you, where you're buying uh, a set of capacity to run Power BI either in the cloud or you know, on-premises with, mm. with the Power BI report servers. It's all in one, uh, and, it, and it gives you the ability to, to decide you know, over time how you want to use it, what you want to do with it. Is um, there any thought to a solution for lower-end customers there? Um, yeah, just I mean, the, you know, the premium starts yeah, pretty yeah. rough well, the, for someone who's just wanting to add reporting and dashboards to their application. Yeah. So there are a couple of things there. One, um, you know, from a, if you happen to be a little bit more savvy uh, in terms of, you know, doing a bit of development work, mm-hmm. uh, we've introduced the, the ASQs uh, for Power BI Embedded, which are, you know, fairly full-featured and functional for all kinds, but they just don't include sort of the out-of-the-box um, uh, Power BI, you know, Experience. You can create that mm-hmm. reports, but you don't get a portal. You don't get a mobile app and all that stuff. They're incredibly affordable. You can buy them I'm, by I'm the hour. I'm thinking about like someone who runs SQL Server Standard Edition today. Like, what yeah. should they use? So, so I've seen that this is one option that, that they might have thought about. Mm. Um, and then if we have, when we're listening to, to feedback and, and, and seeing what what makes sense in terms of do we need a lower end SKU or not. Mm. Um, right now, we just literally introduced all this change in the summer, and we want to let things settle down and, and see what what, mm. what what we hear back. Because I'm, I'm thinking in normal <laughs> cloud services, most services have some sort of, you know, here's dedicated resources or here's shared resources at at some yeah, lower so we, end. Yeah, so we have yeah. both of those. So I, sh- I should have mm. been clear. Sorry if I wasn't clear. So Power BI has both this idea. So you can buy, you know, for ten dollars a month per user. Uh, Power BI, which is essentially, uh, you know, a, not a dedicated capacity, mm. but something that you share with others, but it's, it's full featured. It's got all the capabilities you can want. That's what, in fact, that's what you used to have. That's what Power BI grew yes, up. Yes, indeed. Um, and, 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 and compared to our competitors, it's a extremely reasonable price, actually. Uh, you know, the, the, the other large scale competitors out there, they're charging like 45 bucks a user a month. Mm. Or, or but, but that's still a cloud-only option. Is I suppose that's right. what I'm getting at is there's no solution yet for that for uh, someone who's running, say, standard edition on-premises and wants to deliver these sorts of things on-premises. Yeah, I I think it's it's it, there really is no direct equivalent out there. Um, mm. You know, if you do have a SQL Server subscription with SA, you do you do get this thing for free, I suppose. But then again, that's that's not your. But it's only enterprise. That's not your. That's not your um, uh, standard edition no. type customer. So mm-hmm. yeah, so we're looking at these things. What do we do? What, what options do exist? 
um, you know, there's a there's I think a, a developer edition that you can do, which is you know again, but it's meant mm. for developer, it's not meant yes, for uh, standard edition. So yeah, there, there's, that this remains and this comes up a lot, um, and it's something we're looking into. I think. Yeah, I, I think, I think the are, small shops one is is one of the the, the other one that yeah, but, I, but that, want, that, hmm. one thing, but there are two things to the small shops. One is on-premises small shops. Other ones who are yes. willing to go to the cloud. The yeah. cloud one, I think there is a bit of a solution there with the uh, you know. Yes, no, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. And what what about future for Report Builder then? Like, because it's sort of somewhere in between the two. Yeah, I think we'll have to see what, what happens there. I mean, it's a, it certainly has. Look, you can squint a little bit, uh, and I think it doesn't take a great leap of uh, imagination to say that we'll we'll at some point uh, bring RDL reporting services style reports into Power BI in the cloud. Mm. Just on premises, uh, if we try to be symmetrical, yeah. right now we have some. so you can see that. And then you know, report builder is still you know quite uh, useful for that kind of a thing. Um, and over time, we'll have to reconcile you know what we do with the yeah. I'm just tools. wondering, do you get to a point where uh, Power BI Desktop can build everything you could build in Report yeah. Builder anyway? Yeah, maybe. I think we'll listen to our customers and see what the mm. feedback is. Uh, it, you know, one thing I've learned very quickly is that never try to outguess what users really oh, want. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, and so we'll just sit and listen and see what people tell us mm. uh, as as things unfold. The beauty of delivering every week uh, and every day almost is that you can make these changes. Not have to worry, wait mm. for you know years and years for for that for those to come about. And listen, the other thing I want to raise is, of course, AI, machine learning, those sort of areas. Oh yeah. The one of the things I noticed, the company seemed to make a major pivot in that direction a year or so back, yeah. and. From what I see, every single tool seems to be going through the uh, how how would this end up as part of our tool um, yeah. discussion. And so, what's the thinking in around there in around the BI areas? Yeah, yeah. so if, I don't know if you if you notice Power BI is interesting. So there are two ways of mm. AI. AI number one is very sort of specific. It's for data scientists, if you will. You go in and do if you know what clustering is, you know what a Backpropagation neural mm, network mm. is. You understand deep learning. Maybe you dabbled in TensorFlow, whatever, right? Yep. The other, and that's sort of a lot of the people say, "Hey, machine learning, AI." The other one is the users who don't really know what all this stuff means. They just want to be able to make better decisions without, you know, really having to go crazy on mm. um, uh, on all these technologies. And and their AI is much more transparent. Sometimes I like to call it assistive intelligence. It's yes. AI is not, not artificial, but it's assistive. And in our daily lives, we see this all over the place. We see it, either like it or not. Right? You may hate this, but it happens mm. all the time. You do a search. You go to buy something online. You get recommendations. Uh, you know, traffic uh, rerouting. All the time, something, some algorithm is running in the background saying, hey, try this instead of that. Yeah. Right? So in Power BI, whether you know it or not, this is on, uh, at work all, in many, many places. And I'll give you a few examples. A simple example is if you go to Power BI and say get data, uh, we actually recommend uh, what you should use in the service uh, based upon um, uh, essentially a, a graph of who else is using the product mm -hmm. with you and what have they liked. And, and we subtly sort of change the sort order and, and help you, you give you a recommendation. We don't even tell you the recommendation. Mm -hmm. We just sort of help you. And it's a machine learning model with a classification algorithm running in the back doing mm. clustering and all kinds of data science worked on it, but nobody knows, right? Yeah. That's one very subtle way. 
a little bit less subtle way, of course, is our natural language. You know, you ask uh, language in Q&A, you ask in English, and, and we interpret the English and mm-hmm. help you with queries. And again, there's some AI thing that is working, but we don't really call it that. You say, you know, it's, it's a simple question and answer. Mm-hmm. I, I thought uh, add column by example was a great example. So I, uh, of, yeah, fantastic, mm. right? Going to Power Query by example, we easily, based upon your first few uh, characters you type, you figure out what you mean, and we give you a mm. autocomplete. And a similarly, in desktop, we introduce this thing called uh, explain the difference. If there's a chart and there's a sudden increase, you can right click on the point to increase and say explain this to me, and we mm. will run a, a set of, uh, if you will, AI investigations. And give you hypothesis on what happened, you know what caused the caused the uh, the increase or the decrease or why it remained flat and what the growth was, and we give you charts that explain it. Um, and so we we have a bunch of these things all over the place. Uh, this thing called Quick Insight that runs in the service, hmm. which are very much based upon AI uh, and are helping the user. You know, we we have a forecasting thing in there. We can just go in and just you know take a line chart and say add two periods to this. They'll just do the forecasting for you automatically. Uh, I actually quite loved in the original thing for getting web data, for example, I actually really liked it where it had the uh, the stuff that helped you find the data, yeah. you know, where you could type in a bit of a search and it gave you, you know, if you went here, you get this. If you went here, you get this and so on. Yeah. Is there any thought to having something like that come back? Because actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was so one that, that I was disappointed to see yeah, disappear. I mm. think you see some of those things coming back. In fact, Mm. Uh, some degree of search now is, is worked with our Cortana integration. If you, you know, are running Windows 10 and you have in, in your organization, you know, uh, Windows 10 rolled out uh, by your IT department and you use Power BI as well, you can start doing searches. And all you do is you type in keywords and we'll find the appropriate dashboards, reports, whatever mm. for you that you can go work. It's not exactly what you said, but we have yeah. some of that there. Um, so you can, you can expect that. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of these sort of, if you will, you know, very assistive in nature. Uh, things that we provided. We also have some of the more data sciencey things with our R integration. Uh, mm-hmm. You can run R Indeed. inside Power. Yeah, and in Power Python? Query. Uh, not yet. It's not mostly yet. R right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah. But yeah I was just, yeah, right it was now. just interesting. All the SQL Server team has seemed to have embraced Python in recent yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah. yeah. But again, you know, we, uh, we try very. Again, the audience. Uh, we have to be very super careful. Mm. Uh, you know, our audience even. Spelling R sometimes is difficult, yep. let alone Python, <laughs> just many more characters. Uh, um, they, they just seem like different syntax for the same language to me almost. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it gets confusing. But the thing we've done is, is beyond just giving integration with R, uh, as in the syntactical integration, mm. we have provided this ability to have what we call R-based custom visuals. Yes. Which means, you know, Power BI enables you to plug in pretty much arbitrary visualizations written mm. uh, in, in JavaScript. But do the same thing with R visuals. So if you if you have somebody in the organization who's a superstar at working with R or the community out there, you can pick up those visuals and just plug them into Power BI without even yeah. knowing how R works. Hmm. And we have a bunch of them built in, you know, for for decision trees and uh, and the likes of that um, uh, confusion matrices. Hmm. We have those kinds of things built in. The users can just drag and drop them in and, and not really have to worry about Python or R or syntax, even though in the background this is you know, working with R. And if somebody happens to be R savvy, they can build these and give it to other people to reuse. Actually, one thing that intrigues me with that is that in SQL Server 2017, we've got the ability to take uh, predictive models, for example, and compile those 
yeah. uh, so that they can be loaded quickly and in machines that aren't running the R and Python stuff in the first place. Um, again, there'd be some thought to having some way of pushing those same sort of predi- compiled yeah, uh, predictive models into Power BI. If you're lo- looking at these kinds of things, I think you should stay mm. tuned for the next few months. Um, I think you'll see some more interesting things coming out of uh, what we are doing with, uh, in this whole area. Mm. Uh, you know, still- Actually, one, one other one in that area, though, is that uh, something that was there earlier on with Power BI uh, was the concept of phrasings and things. And, and I just thought as yep. a, a yeah, concept, it's coming back. that was, yeah, cause yeah, the idea of being able to sort of teach the machine yeah, yeah. that, you know, when I talk, this is how I yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Yeah, it's, yeah, that, that one is, is, is coming very soon. So just stay, stay tuned. Uh, it's mm. the whole notion, by the way. So to give some more uh, color to that, um, the way natural language models work really well uh, is if they understand the domain well. And mm. the more you can do with a model, that they work against, the better they get. So for, the model in this case could be as simple as a BI model. Yeah. So if I have a BI model that talks about you know, dimensions and measures and relationships, uh, and it's able to go and talk about types of data, if in that whole context you can add in things like, um, you know, not just synonyms, um, but even phrasings, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, or, or other kinds of hints, then it becomes much better uh, for the user to be able to go in and and have a conversation with the system that actually is built upon a model that understands, you know, more than just what implicitly can, can be gleaned from from the data model that exists out there. Mm. So I think we, we'll be we'll be investing quite a bit on on this in this space. I think to me the the thing that makes the biggest difference uh, to date, anyway, is the the quality and clarity of the underlying model that you're building this these That's things right. over the top of, and oh. It's just interesting that um, I, I keep seeing messaging all the time that just says, build this straight over the top of everything that you already have there. Yeah, But, I, but most <laughs> existing applications are just not yeah. suitable for that. And, you know, we still tend to always build out uh, equivalent of uh, our version of what I like dimensional models and things. But the, the, the core reason is just so that you have such a clean model for these things to then be built over the top of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I don't think there is uh, any uh, shortcuts uh, in in really having powerful solutions. Hmm. Uh, data modeling is, you know, I mean, it, it is it is sort of the basis of of having all kinds of things, all the way from you know uh, governance and understanding of what what is it that you're trying to express to the ease of how users can consume, uh, even with simple, you know. Uh, if you will, legacy reports and dashboards to natural language. Hmm. All of these things rely upon the fact that uh, there's something that has essentially expressed the semantics of a business. And if you can express the semantics properly, uh, then you know you are in good shape in terms of being able to, you know, uh, do the, the 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 right kinds of. Um, uh, communication out to users, if you will, that mm. could be in any form you want. It could be as simple as, you know, a, a, a table with rows and columns or sophisticated as a dashboard with fancy graphics or even more interesting with natural language or AI or whatever. Mm. But, but but it does, I think there is, there is this um, payoff that comes with building these models. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally think so. The and the the thing I find in most of these projects is I, I think probably eighty five percent of the work is building out a decent model. Uh, yeah. So that and then the analytics and the reporting actually becomes quite easy. The uh, yeah. built over the top. One one thing that I've um, never quite understood in a lot of this tooling, though, uh, as well, is that uh, if you look at everyone like Marco Russo and all the guys who, who do the just great work in these areas, they would always tell you that you should have uh, a view layer sitting above uh, whatever the underlying model is, uh, and Yet what I find is that none of the tools really support uh, understand uh, anything any way of understanding relationships where you've got views in place. So so it's all very well to yeah. know, have a, a lovely set of clear views, but then everybody has to rebuild all the, the logical relationships um, yeah. over the top of that when it's dragged in. And I I just keep yearning for some way to have a a standard way to express the logical relationships that aren't actually physical relationships. Yeah, I think it, it's all of those things. One, one of these days, we will actually listen to Marco and Gang and do something. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a matter of getting there. Just yeah, I, the I keep thinking, even if we had sort of like a standard view that, if yeah. it was present, could be consumed to you know establish all. Because otherwise, a lot of these um, the tooling. The problem is that people pull in the data, and then they've got to work out how to join it all up and. Yet we could have a way of materializing that information so that every time you pull in bits of data, it already knows how they're related. Yeah. No, no, it's fair. And I suppose the thing is you could go further and go, well, you know, if I'm then hooking to an exchange rate or something, you know, I could have a way of storing that relationship information so that for an end user, when they suddenly join off to other data sources and things, it goes, oh, I already know how to do that. Yeah, I mean... You know, to a certain degree, uh, we try those abstractions, but we do it with, you know, on our side, with, with N mm -hmm. or whatever it is, where we try and, and, and you know, uh, keep keep it up to date with the changes. Mm -hmm. But it certainly isn't, isn't, you know, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking something where people pull the data in and all of a sudden it's all joined up for them, even though it wasn't in the underlying data. That's all. Yeah. And again, we try a little bit of that. We try and interpret but you're right. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, uh, it's super rudimentary. Mm. And probably also that if, for example, there are multiple paths between two objects or entities or whatever, uh, again, being able to say, hey, this is the one that you you normally would be following, you know, being able to have it sort of understand that. Yeah. And and so, you know, if I have, I don't know, something and I have a sales date and an order date and a uh, delivery date or something going, oh, look, the order date is the one you normally look at, you know, or so, or something like that, yeah. yeah. So just some yeah. way of expressing that sort of thing so yeah. that when different people are, particularly in self-service BI, where different people are building out things, that there's there's good defaults for them already there. Yeah, I think that the, now there's two ways of, of thinking about this now that not on this topic. One is mm. you do this with sort of underlying views and in, 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 in relation database or not. And the second thing is what do we do in... in "Quote unquote," what might have been the old days, NOLAP model, mm. um, where uh, I think we do have a fair amount of richness in the, in the expressions of, of, of you know um, all the various things like translations and um, mm. you know but, and, and 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 that's the reason people end up building these things mm. because they they do provide um, some of the richness that and and standardization that's not possible or that's not available maybe in the underlying uh, database. Mm. 
Yeah, I was just thinking more in terms of making it even more accessible to IT people yeah, can, can make yeah. it no, much I, more accessible. I, 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 I totally hear what you're saying. What mm. I'm saying is that you know, uh, it's, it's something that we need to work on. We have some degrees of this. Uh, some of it may be in our in our tools with Power Query and those kinds of things with M. Mm. But you Look, know, I, nowhere, I have to nowhere, say nowhere to near, Power, yeah. Power Query, that is yeah. that's still to me one of the coolest things that Microsoft's come up with in yeah, yeah. in so many years. So like I, I've been in the industry long enough, you get kind of jaded looking at new things. But that was one of the few that I sort of looked and went, that's completely amazing. Yeah, and it's going to get better. I mean, the, the, those yeah. guys are. <laughs> I mean, they you know they just launched a standalone Power Query editor for for Power Apps. Mm. Uh, runs, runs outside of uh, Power BI and, and, and desktop and all that. And these guys are, are just are amazing. They're in, innovating like crazy. The M language is super powerful. Uh, you know, the, the, the more we use it, the more we internally realize this thing is, has got so much of, of richness yeah. in it. And it's beautiful, the fact that it's all documented and everything too. The uh, I often now I look at Power Query uh, as it's currently implemented, and to me it just feels like a wrapper over the top of M. But the uh, but but yeah, so, and there's obviously in the language itself the ability to do all sorts of things that might might not have yeah. made it into the GUI as yet. Yeah, but, and, but and, it's and, certainly so rich. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you'll you'll see in there as well that whole area. It's more of the AI stuff popping up uh, and other kinds of innovations. So that, that they are after that that will be very interesting to watch. Hmm. And so what's uh, what's got you absolutely riveted to go to your job each day at the moment? And so. I told the, you the, the, in the beginning, I told you this, right? I, I, I hmm. work, uh, I literally I pinch myself every day. I work on a, on a product. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is, this hmm. is really quite amazing. I mean, I, I work on a, on a product that's used by, um, you know, a lot of people across the world. Yeah. I, 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 any conference I go to, if I go, if I'm traveling with customers, increasingly I've yet to meet an organization that is not using Power BI. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's becoming really, really, you know, um, uh, widespread, uh, and and and, I've, and I'm meeting people more and more who are really fans of the product. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to exaggerate, but they they like what they do with it. And 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 uh, to me, that that's is the single most important, fulfilling, color what you want uh, aspect of of what I do is hmm. making a product that people actually like. Actually, one uh, one that I will ask you about too is is extensibility. Yeah. Um, the Power BI team seems to have adopted more extensibility uh, than what I've seen in many of the other teams, and and I've always thought it was sort of lacking in a lot of the other teams. And it's sort of if people talk about there being a new Microsoft at the moment, that's one of the areas that uh, I, I think yeah. sort of shows that very clearly. Yeah. And and, what, and, so, and, what was the thinking on extensibility? Because uh, I love the fact that people can just build so, things and extend. So, it. I think one thing we learned early enough is not early, but let's just look at, at timelines here, right? Mm. So, when when we if we go back the, all the way to '97, whatever with OLAP services, we have, we we kind of changed the equation a little bit with including uh, that kind of a capability in a database, with SQL Server. You know, the world started to really adopt it. We saw great success with Power Pivot and Excel and all that. But at some point, we also saw disruption taking place with other vendors coming in and changing, you know, the the, the graphical nature of the tools and what you could do with it, mm-hmm. data visualization. And we felt behind a little bit. And one thing we realized is that in order for us to do justice to our customers and really give them something they like, we really had to get out of the mental model 
that everything has to be you know pre-locked and and delivered to yeah. Microsoft. Uh, because then you end up in this place where everything has to work with everything else and SharePoint and Excel and this and that and you know and 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 it and customers just didn't want to be in in that sort of a trap, if you will. Hmm. And so we, so we realized that if you order to go and and really give them uh, uh, an almost infinitely uh, uh, plausible tool, then they needed the the flexibility to take it any direction they wanted to. So we opened hmm. it up. Uh, you know, the, the visualizations are completely open. You can plug in yeah. anything you want. The APIs are open. Uh, you know, the, the SDK to build connectors is open. Everything mm. uh, is opened up so that at no point should a customer feel that, hey, they're, they're constrained by what we provide them. Now, obviously, there are mm. many places they are, but really that's sort of the, the, the North Star, if you will. Mm. Just, oh, look, about... it's, that's so refreshing because uh, it, it's so funny. Like over all the years, you know, when, whenever they have uh, the, the like the MVP sessions and we sit there in, in rooms and they show us things, I'm always the one with the hand up going, you know, but how do I extend that? And, that's right. And the answer was always like, oh, yeah, not in version one, uh, but, uh, but, but then the version that did that never yeah. came, you know. And, and, yeah. and the thing I always thought is that they actually did themselves harm with that because you'd sort of ship out a, a a feature or something that uh, wasn't quite at where it needed to be, but you also yeah. cut off all the extensibility points where somebody can make it what it needs to be. So, yeah. so then you have to have a perfect version one. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, people just lose interest in it immediately. And and this this is kind of not where you want to be. Where where if you push out something and it's pretty good, but then people can fill in the holes if they need to. Yeah, that just, I think, gives you far more chance of the product flying. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. And I think that's one of the hard lessons learned over time for us. Hmm. Uh, when you end up selling products that are, you know, used by lots and lots of people, we assume that, hey, that's just how it's going to be. It'll just work. Um, and you don't realize that, you know, that's just a beginning point. Hmm. And people exactly. want to do more. Um, and, you know, the other thing that, that, that we've learned over time, obviously, is that the more people can extend, the more they will do with the product uh, yes. and the more they like it. And, and I think that's, that's the, the central lesson learned really is that, hmm. you know, make it flexible, make it, make it, you know, something that you can mold into what you want, yet make it easy out of the box. Well, see, um, even, even Visual Studio, I think the best things that Microsoft has added to Visual Studio in recent years were things that other people built as extensions to it yeah, yeah, beforehand. I, and I think that, again, it's, like the Microsoft as a company is certainly uh, going down that direction of hmm. more open, more flexible. Uh, don't assume that everything... Like, no, I, I see amazing things like the, the, there's a Linux subsystem in Windows now. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, so that, it's just... Uh, I mean, that's, and, and, and it, that is the hallmark of this company now, I think. It's mm. one that it says, hey, you know, what do customers want? Give them what they want. Don't try to outguess them. Yeah. That's awesome. So, listen, we're coming towards time, but so come on, look, where will people see you? Uh, if, with things coming up or conferences or anything? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, the, I just finished Ignite and Pass when I was involved mm. with these things. That was kind of a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's always a, the next round of these things coming up and mm. I'll, I'll always uh, uh, attend these things. And, uh, you know, I end up traveling uh, with customer visits and all kinds of different things. So, mm. um, but nothing right now. Uh, I think my, my next big stop is going to be 
uh, a personal vacation in Orlando if you're yes. doing what uh, or in <laughs> well, yeah, Christmas Parson, time it's looking up next to Mickey Mouse. Yes, yeah. Bath and Ignite on their own. Yeah, we, uh, uh, I'm yeah, sure yeah. we're, we're uh, big commitments for you. That's great. Well, no, so that, thank that, you. Okay, thank you for your time. Thank really you appreciate so much it. for your Always. time, Kamal. That's awesome. Thank you. Love talking to you. Mm-hmm.